I'm going to ask, how many of y'all, as I did, started the year with the New Year's resolution that had something to do with food? How many are still at it, doing well? I shared last week that I went in onto the Internet and decided that I had just have not any luck losing weight, so I thought I would see how tall I would have to be to already be at my optimum weight. And I needed to gain 12 inches. So, but I, I can't tell you how well I'm doing because I'm doing like they do on when you're trying to lose weight. They say, don't weigh. Well, I'm not measuring myself, so I'm not sure if I'm doing any good or not. But uh, my goal is this time next year to be 12 inches taller. I told you that I hope to make it one week. If I made the resolution that I could, I could make it at least one week, which would be a record for me. It lasted when I got out of church, about the length of time it took me to get home. Because I think when I walked in the house, I, I broke the resolution. So, well, Mark, uh, I may just keep asking how you're doing. I, I may just put that pressure on you to see how well it goes. So. Just eating enough to get by. I think that's what I'm doing. I hadn't thought about that. I'm probably just eating enough to get by. Well, I spoke last week, uh, and I need to share this very briefly for those of you who weren't here, because the Lord, about three weeks ago now, gave me this phrase that this would be a year of a thousand miracles. Now, I need to make sure that I'm clear about that, because that's a thousand miracles per person this coming year. Not a thousand miracles in the church. A thousand miracles per person this year. And the message that I shared, I shared from Matthew chapter 9 about the woman with the issue of blood and Matthew chapter 8 about the leper who came to Jesus to be healed. And we would, without any question, I think, agree that for a woman who had spent all of her resources, had had 12 miserable years trying to deal with this disease, and this man who had leprosy, and immediately upon that diagnosis was removed from his family had to live in, the, in a colony of lepers because of how awful the disease was, that the quality of their life was probably miserable. They had to be discouraged. They had to be despondent. There were certain attributes that you would fully expect of two people in that day and time when that kind of news had come. I can't even imagine their life any other way. But when we read those, there was something interesting in both verses. For the woman with the issue of blood, she came seeking Jesus, believing that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, she would be okay. The man in, he, in Matthew 8 said he came worshiping Jesus. Well, there's a real disconnect in that story for me because they should have been discouraged. They should have been despondent. They should have been brokenhearted. But we read within the story that there was faith and hope in both. So what does it tell me? It tells me that before we read the miracles that we read in those two chapters, before we read of that great move of God as He heals them, there had to be miracles occurring before that one. There had to be perhaps dozens of miracles in the life of that woman or in the, in the life of that man. Somebody had to be talking to them. Somebody had to be sharing. Someone had to be encouraging. Someone had to be loving. Someone had to be touching. And I want to tell you, that for that woman and that man, every one of those moments was a miracle. It must have taken a dozen miracles for each before we ever get to read about the one that we read about in the Scriptures. Someone loved someone with a broken heart. Someone touched 
someone who was discouraged. Someone spoke a word of testimony, of hope, to someone who was hopeless. Please don't ever forget that any time God releases himself through us with a word of encouragement, a love, of touch, every one of those releases of God through us is a miracle. What was God asking? Probably not real good to do this mathematically, but for you to have a thousand miracles in your life this year would require you to do that 2.7 times a day to encourage someone, to love someone, to hold someone that's, that's lonely. All it would take for you to, to be a miracle worker a thousand times this year is less than three times a day, love someone, encourage them when they're broken, tell them how, that God loves them, and watch their lives be changed in the small miracles. And then we might just get to witness the big ones. Lives truly changed. The reason I share that is because it doesn't require you to change where you go. It doesn't require you to change jobs. It doesn't require you to plan a different day. It does require you to be aware of the people around you, to be aware of the one who's discouraged and the one who's standing off by himself and the one who seems to be alone. It does require an awareness of the people around us. I believe very simply that God said, I'm asking each person to say within themselves, not to count them, it's not important that you count them, but that I would be a person of a thousand miracles this year. I would also be a person who could receive the miracles when they're coming my direction, that I would be equally excited to receive them as I am to give them. So that was the message from last week, to be a person of a thousand miracles this year. And if God prompts you to share them in the testimony of some time, I would encourage you to do so. Because this time we spend together was not designed for you to come in and be an observer. It wasn't designed for you to come in and to just witness whatever goes on here. This time that we spend together was 100% designed in the, in the mind of God that you would be an equal participant in all that goes on. You're sitting here this morning completely ready, completely equipped to minister goodness to someone around you, to pray for someone or to help someone or encourage someone. You should come in those doors ready to be an active participant in all that's going on here. So engage yourself in this time that we spend together. Let God love you, but also let God pour the love of his love through you to someone else. I'd ask you and encourage you in this next few minutes to become a very active participant in what God wants to say. And then ask him, is there anything I need to say, share, tell, pray for someone, and be ready for that when it comes. So that was last week. Here we begin this week. The message this morning is born out of something extremely practical. It almost seems a little bit more mechanical than it does inspirational, as at least the way it feels to me. When I shared this the first time about 10 days ago, I didn't really understand how far-reaching it is. <clears throat> it's one of those that when God gave it, I was sitting in United at 82nd in Frankfurt, and I was asked a question, and the answer that God gave back, surprised me and I think surprised the person that I was there with. But when he spoke it, it just kind of exploded. And it's, I don't know if there's anybody that's come to my office since then that hasn't heard this in some portion. And the phrase that God really just resonates in my mind about this, it's not even a whole scripture, but the, the phrase comes from Elijah 
uh, spoken in 1 Kings 18, verse 20 and 21. And here's the scripture. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. The phrase that God just kind of set on my heart was, How long will you halt between two opinions? How long will you struggle between two, two ideas or two thoughts? What's the damage of halting between two opinions? What is the damage in trying to understand, am I to do A or am I to do B? I want to look at this for just a minute. I need to do this through the PowerPoint presentation just for just a couple of minutes. Most of us sitting here today, when we're trying to understand what we're supposed to do, which direction we're supposed to go, should I do this, should I do this, and we live in that question, most of us sort through the circumstances and the situation trying to find that answer. Mentally and emotionally, we will spend a great deal of time kind of sorting through the facts, sorting through the actions that other people have taken, kind of filtering the attitude that we have seen or we have experienced. We'll process all the people. We'll talk about what she said or about what he said. And somewhere in all of that stuff, we're hoping to find out what to do. Does that lead us to do plan A? Does that lead us to do plan B? Does that lead us in all the things that we're processing? Does that lead us to do plan C? Well, I guarantee you, without exception, that if you're trying to understand what to do by processing the circumstances and situations, the only outcome and the guaranteed outcome is turmoil. You will be able to discover nothing else. It will be mental, it will be emotional, and it will be physical. Why? Because if the circumstance changes a little, improves a little, or declines a little, worsens a little, then you're going to suddenly discover that maybe my plan was wrong. Maybe what, I'm, what I chose to do, the action I'm taking, is no longer appropriate because the circumstance changed. The situation changed. It got better, I need another plan. It got worse, I need another plan. And the guarantee, my suspicion this morning is in a group this size, considering relationships with spouses or friends or partners, considering children, older and younger, friendships, things going on at work, my suspicion is that most people in here are processing some things and the outcome has been turmoil. Uncertain about what to do. And sometimes that uncertainty has been going on for years. So my suspicion is that sitting here this morning, that there is probably, actually, a majority of the people sitting here that are in some level of of that picture up there. The prize at the end of this effort, using circumstances to determine the plan to get that kind of an outcome, the prize at the end of that effort will be regret, guilt, or blame. I chose wrong. I should not have done I should have done, I might should have done more, I might should have done less, and we're processing this in terms of regret and blame and guilt. I have a view of this simply because 
that we do so much counseling here. And how many people walk in and that's their dilemma saying, Randy, I don't know what to do. How is this supposed to look? What would make this different? How could we change this simply? This isn't, again, this isn't difficult to do. How is this supposed to look? If you want turmoil to go away, or a major part of the turmoil to go away, what has to happen first is that a message has to form in your heart. It's a message that has to be above the circumstances. It has to be a message that's filled with resolve. Because once that message is formed in you, then the actions will become very simple. And there's, here's the example. Before Jay was born, Jan and I made a decision. Now, we didn't fully understand what we were doing, but we made a decision that we were going to send our kids a message. As they grew up, we were going to send them a message. And the message was that you are going to be loved most on your worst day. We made a decision that in our home, our kids would be raised based on grace and not performance. We made a decision that that the day when they came home and told us the worst news they could tell us would be the day that they would know they were loved the most. Not the day when they came home and gave the best report card or had scored the most points. That it wasn't going to be that day. So look at this, this example. We could have sent our kids a message that says, You are always right. That would have caused us to act a certain and particular way. We could have told our kids that you will be the best at everything you do, and that will cause us to act in a particular way. Our actions are going to come directly out of that message. Or we could tell them that grace will define our lives, and that will cause a set of actions related to that message to come about. The turmoil is caused in our lives because we don't stop first and formulate the message. We're responding to the circumstances. So this lady sitting in front of me saying, my son is stuck. He's in a relationship with a young woman and he doesn't know whether he needs to do this. He doesn't know whether he needs to do this or he doesn't know whether he needs to do this. And I said, how successful has he been processing all the circumstances? She said, it's left him in turmoil. He doesn't know what to do. And he's frustrated by it. He's anxious because of it. And I asked her one question. I said, what kind of message does he want to send this young woman? Do you think that his action would clear up if he knew what message he wanted to send her? Because if he wants to send her a message that says, hey, we're just friends, you think his actions would would follow? Sure. If he wanted to say, well, I'm in charge and I think you need to do what I say, do you think the actions would follow? If he wanted to say to her, you're the most important thing in my life, Do you think the actions would follow? Yes. Because if you can resolve the message that you want to send to your husband, to your wife, if you want to resolve the message you send to your children, to your employer, to a friend, if you will resolve that message, you will not be confused in the appropriate actions that you're supposed to take. What's causing the turmoil? No clear message. The strange and unfortunate outcome that if you don't do that, The circumstances over here on the left, every time they change, they will send you a new message. Every time something gets better, you'll get a new message. Every time something gets worse, you'll get a new message. A young man calls me, uncertain about some difficulties that are going on in his life regard to his wife. 
They're separated. And he's in turmoil because he doesn't know what to do. Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? And he's asking me, Randy, what do I do? What do I need to tell him? How successful would I be in helping him sort through those circumstances to come up with a good plan? What's the outcome going to be? Regret? Man, I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. That didn't work like I expected. So what was my message to him? What is your message? What do you want to tell her? Do you want to tell her there's hope? Do you want to tell her that you're all in? Do you want to tell her that it's over? What is your message? Because if you'll clear that up, your actions will follow very clearly. I want you to see this from the scripture. I I want you to understand this from the way that God has shown us. Look at the last piece. When done the best, when done as God intended, God is the one who should form the message in you. This will work if you have no faith in God. This will work if you don't trust God at all. But if you want to do this as God intended, you ask God to form the message that will then direct your action. And you know what will happen? The whole thing will be reversed. It will be from God's message to you that will control the action A, B, or C that will then send the message and change the circumstances. That's God's plan. That's God's desire. That's God's design that the message that he forms in your heart now fixed in your heart that's bigger than circumstances, bigger than someone's responses, bigger than someone's rejection, that that message now formed in your heart by God that will lead you to the actions taken will begin to change the circumstances that are so troubling. It will change what it looks like. It will change the actions. It will change the hearts of people. It will change all of the circumstances. Let the message form First, let's look at this in the scripture for just a second. Go with me, if you'd like to, to Haggai. Don't say that very often. Haggai 1.13. It's over there in those minor prophets. I wonder if they had a complex because they didn't get to be one of the major prophets. I bet they have a support group. I bet the minor prophets hang out and talk about the other guys that got to be major prophets. Haggai 1.13. Then spoke Haggai, the Lord's messenger, In the Lord's message unto the people saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. What is the message to us from God in that scripture? I am with you. Do you think that message determines his action? Absolutely. What does it assure us of? If he says, I am with you, what actions will he put on display? We will never have to wonder if he has left our presence. His actions will always tell us. 1 John, if you'd go with, there with me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What is the message to us from God? That he is light and in him there is no darkness. So what does it mean if there's darkness in our life? What does it tell us? It did not originate from him. If there's guilt, it didn't originate from him. If there's blame, it didn't originate from him. If there's shame, it didn't originate from him. He will not be the author of darkness in your life. Or he's betrayed his own message. And I want to tell you, he won't. His actions are being determined by the message he chose to send us. Uh, Just a couple of of, uh, chapters back, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, 
that we should love one another. What is the message formed in God now given to us? What does he say? That we should love one another. What does that mean as we consider his plan for us and our actions that we're supposed to be taking one to another? What if that message was true in our hearts? What if that was the message that I settled in me about you? That my, the message I'm going to send you every day without question because it's formed in me, bigger than the circumstances, bigger than the situation, that we should love one another. What's going to happen when I have that message in me and I say something to Jackie and he bites my head off? What's going to happen in that moment? If that message is in me, what's going to happen in that moment? That message is bigger than his answer. It will not change my message. I love you. What will happen if the message is not settled? Brokenness right here. A broken relationship. Because I'm letting the circumstances determine what I do because I let the circumstances send me a message. Love one another. What would happen if that message formed in us individually and all of a sudden we would realize that there's nothing you could do that's going to change my message to you. I love you. God formed it, wrote it across my heart, and I announce it every day, no matter how you respond, no matter how you act, no matter what you do, it's not going to change my message. Because my message is bigger than your action. We have all these moments of turmoil. I know some of you sitting in here are in these moments right now trying to figure out what do I do? What do I do about my family? The turmoil that we're in, what do I do about my family? What do I do with these friends that are causing so much difficulty? What am I going to do at school? What am I going to do at work? And then this big one, the hard one, what am I going to do within myself? I had someone in my office this past week and I finally had to tell them, you, you need to send yourself a message. Write it down. Write yourself a letter and say, this is what I want you to know about you. And live according to that message. Because so much of the turmoil is because we send ourselves mixed messages. We need to settle that within ourselves. The promise is this. The turmoil will not end as long as we're processing the circumstances to determine the right action to take. My message, just again, this is very mechanical this morning. Maybe not as inspirational. But what I'm hoping is that if you're in the turmoil that I suspect, that you will stop first, form the message. Let God give you direction in it, and you will know what to do. And the day of turmoil will be over, and peace will be in its place. I would like to ask this morning, how many of you are in turmoil of some kind or another, trying to figure out what to do? I can tell you this morning, of the, of the stories I know, let the message form. Find real contentment in the message. Let God build it in you. Write it across your heart, and then let the actions follow out of that Without concern of the consequences, let God do it and be at peace. Lord, I know this morning that there are those who are here in turmoil. Lord, you gave this with such clarity. And I know, Lord, when you do, that it was designed this morning to bring great relief in many stories. Let the message begin to form in our hearts. And Lord, even before the issues come up, as we did with our kids to make a decision that we were going to send them a message before they'd ever done anything, before two of them were ever born. So, Lord, I pray and I thank you that you allow us to do this 
in faith, trusting you, in Scripture, hearing you, that the messages can form and the turmoil would be over. Thank you, Lord, for this moment. In Jesus' name.